we're not going to begin with what Jesus did not teach, but instead what Jesus did teach. Jesus representing churches will be known as the friends of the LGBTQ community. As I mentioned, the narrative of our, that our culture puts forward is that there are really only two options in our relationship with the gay and lesbian community, affirmation or alienation. Jesus presents a third alternative, and he gives it to us in one of the most misinterpreted things I think he ever said. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. If you ask the average guy on the street to quote you two verses from the Bible, this is always one of the two. Dolly Parton, I think, uh, most recently quoted this verse, uh, I saw it this morning, um, to mean that we have no right to tell somebody that what they're doing is wrong. I heard Bill Maher quote it to that end. Who are you to say that this or that is wrong? Doesn't your Bible say to judge not? Was that really what Jesus means here? Well, frankly, he couldn't have meant that because he spent his whole ministry telling people, certain people, they were in error. Just a few verses um, after Jesus makes this statement, he'll say, Matthew 7, 13, that, that there's a wide gate and a narrow gate and that most people are going through the wide gate to their destruction and that if they want to be saved, they've got to go through the narrow gate. This doesn't sound like a, hey, whatever, you know, whatever works for you kind of presentation. Later in Matthew, Jesus would tell a group of people, you're wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. In fact, here's how Jesus would characterize his whole life. The world hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. That didn't sound like a Jesus walking around in Birkenstock saying, it's okay, man. It's you know, legal now in Colorado. Just let it go, you know? So judge not cannot mean... That we don't tell our community when God's word says something is wrong. Because the primary, that is the primary component of what it means to be a prophetic voice in the world. Well, then what does it mean to judge not? Maybe jot down this definition. It's what you do after you tell someone the truth that determines whether or not you're condemning or judging them. Jesus would describe his own ministry like this in John three seventeen: God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved through him. So even though Jesus told some people that their works were evil, and even though he made very clear to everyone that unless they entered by the narrow gate, they would not get into heaven, he still, in his estimation, did not condemn the world. Why? Because not condemning does not mean not telling someone the truth. It means not casting them off after you tell them the truth. After telling us the truth, Jesus brought us close. He made sinners, us, his friends. You judge someone not when you assess their position, but when you dismiss them as a person. I know many who are listening in the gay and lesbian community have been cast off by the church, maybe by your own Christian parents. And I want to tell you that is not Jesus that is Satan dressed up in Jesus' clothes using Jesus' name. And I think the question to us as church leaders, have you drawn the gay and lesbian community close? Are you their friends? When you find someone who is gay, find out someone is gay, how interested are you in them as a person beyond their sexuality? Do you, do you see them as primarily gay and lesbian or do you see them as primarily people created in the image of God just like you who have gay and lesbian desires? Do you talk with them about things other than their sexuality? The world has elevated sexuality to be, to be the defining element of who we are. Why would we follow their definition? We believe that the core of every person is something that we share in common 
individuals made in the image of God. And then when Jesus died on a cross, he died for every human being made in the image of God, which means that his love extends to all. And then we'd say all different nations, all different kinds of people, you would say that his love extends to people with heterosexual tendencies and those with homosexual tendencies. Would gay and lesbian people feel welcome in your home? Are you among the chief advocates against abuse, injustice, and discrimination against the gay and lesbian community in our society? I don't mean will you consent that it's wrong, but are you an advocate against abuse, injustice, and discrimination on their behalf? Isn't that what you would do for a friend? I do want to apologize to the gay and lesbian community on behalf of my community and me for not standing up against abuse and discrimination directed towards you. That was wrong, and we need your forgiveness. Before we go on to number two, let me say something I hope that you don't misinterpret. As believers, as Christians, we have to love our gay neighbor more than we love our position on sexual morality. Which means that our relationship with them must not be contingent upon their agreeing with us about sexuality. It means that when they don't agree with us, we still don't push them away. The posture of many Christians in our churches is more characterized by anger than by compassion, by judgment, rather than by friendship. I am not saying that we would ever compromise our position or fail to state it, just that even when they disagree with it, we do not cut them off, we draw them close. We say, yes, this issue is important, I cannot compromise, but I love you more than I love being right. And so even if you don't see things my way, I'm going to keep bringing you close and I'm going to remain committed to you. In the cross of Jesus Christ, he shows us the right way to relate to the gay and the lesbian community. Clarity about God's righteousness, compassion that would give up its own life to draw them close. Ladies and gentlemen, for 15 years, I have had the privilege of being pastor of a white Baptist church in this city. Now, if we stand a hundred years from now, it will still be a white church. Now, I am a believer in a separation of the races, and I am nonetheless, I'm a Christian. Now, if you want to get in a fight 
with the one that started separation of the races, then you come to face to face with your God. The difference in color, the difference in our body, our minds, our life, our mission upon the face of the earth is God given. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. God. I apologize for that, Lona, but there is no hate like Christian love. Amen to that, brother. Amen to that. <laughs> so, so I was again. I was working to walk a mile in the shoes of this preacher man. Uh, welcome everybody to walk a mile in my shoes, which again is an open discussion where we try to bring the world together by understanding each other. We want to walk a mile in your shoes and hope you can walk a mile in our shoes. Now, I do agree that a mile is a long walk, but yes, it is. Maybe we can learn to love instead of hate. And I am with my co host, Lona Curry. That's right. I'm Reverend L.C. Curry. I am the transgender mentor, and I am so excited to be back in the saddle with my amazing friend and brother, Eric McCoy, and talking about something that is very important very big think, distinction to make yeah and i think Loving probably it. very prevalent in your state very prevalent in my state there's <laughs> not a day that goes by <laughs> i am not reminded of my abominationness <laughs> and uh yeah i'm grateful to find the humor in it that's for sure <laughs> you, you got to you know you have that, to at this point because you can't i mean you can only obviously look at the things that we can do something about and Correct. We have little control over some of that, you know. Preach. Uh, yes, Preach. but I think at the end Preach. game, I think some of these people are going. Uh, I think they got a nice, warm spot for eternity. <laughs> yeah, I do too. <laughs> I do too. I think a lot of them are going to be quite surprised when yeah. it's all over with. Yeah. They're going to think, "What?" Uh-huh. what so, that? so yeah. So as I was saying before, I, I know you wanted to. Mm-hmm. We were going to touch on Andrew Tate, uh, but again, my mind kept getting stuck on the church. Divine uh, intervention these people of God and how God supposedly created the ultimate race as white. So, you know, I mean, you know, I'm white, you're white, you know, you know just, we're white. We do. We really got to get Jesus on our show. Right? Yeah. We got to yeah. get Jesus on here to clarify. This. We, we got to get white Jesus. Well, you know, and then we'll see what the rest of the Jesus is. Well, that's what I was saying. I was saying that I was like going, I was going to do a skit, but then it just didn't feel right to, <laughs> I know you. <laughs> I, know you. I would, you I would have said the wrong those, way, the wrong stuff, and you know, you will walk those sandals out so far that it will be <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. So you might have to make that just for us, buddy. Yeah, I, we will. I think we will. So I did a show on hot topics, which I think is again why I got stuck on this. Now I played, I played a spoken word poem, and I want to play this. And I don't know if you've awesome. ever heard of John Jorgensen. And the name uh, Jorgensen sounds familiar. Yes, John Jorgensen, and he does uh, these spoken word poems. And Mm -hmm. I use this one in my show because it's called I Hate Christians. I hate Christians. This common phrase rarely escapes the prison of my mouth, but festers and stews in the crockpot of my mind when I see you. You know who you are. Not all Christians, but those few. The parent disowning their gay son. 
the pastor blaming school shootings on the unrepentant sin of their congregation, the seminary student using his budding Bible knowledge to bully the seeking soul who now, thanks to you, feels that they have no place with God. And every time I see you, I find myself scurrying, hurriedly reassuring I'm not that type of Christian. The stereotype turned up way too loud, and I can't find the off switch for your hate. I can't turn down your judgment, and if I play it backwards, I swear I'll hear your hypocrisy speaking clearly. I nearly want to tear off the label altogether. Just call me a friend of Christ, a believer, a spiritual person. Anything to get away from an association with a nation of denominations without coordination, lack of integration, and substantiation. But where is your grace? Who's the last face you looked into and simply said it's okay? But your Facebook debate is more important, right? What will the world do if they don't hear from you on how I can't vote Democrat and still be a believer? Oh, blaming deceiver, bearing a name that you profane with every Samaritan you step over. Oh, Pharisee, blind to see the least of these, and you and me profess to believe the same thing. We married the same dude. We wear the same ring. And so, friend, brother, Sister, wife, I take back what I said before. I do not hate you. Not because I don't feel it, but because that doesn't help anything or anyone. Don't hate the believer. Hate the judgment. Hate the distortion. Hate the foolishness, but I do not hate you. I love you. And I wish we could talk about that word. Maybe agree on what it means and what it looks like for both of us to act on it. I see you. And we need you. Mm. Powerful, intense, huh? Yes, man. Very intense. Yeah. He's got he's got a, he's got quite a few really good ones, you know. Well, that's one of the greatest things. I'm glad you started with that video because you know, as it's easy to take a walk in the shoes of the 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 hated or the damned, you know, like my community or or other communities, I can only imagine what it must be like for people in that faith to know that they are now being represented by the loudest, most mm -hmm. hypocritical and judging, hateful yeah. human beings and wearing the same label. Yeah. And that's what I like what he said, too. He's like, he's it's just a few of you. I mean, he made that mm -hmm. point, too. You know, he's like, mm -hmm. it's not all. Of, it's not everybody, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. but it's, the, you know, and it really is. I mean, it's not. You know, there are a lot of great messages out there. There's a lot of great pastors out there. There's yes. a lot of, you know, that, that's all yeah. into love. And I think the real message behind mm -hmm. Jesus and stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's those few <laughs> that, but they have such a loud voice. Well, same with the transgenders. 
Same with the transgenders right now. It's just like the loudest and most ridiculous deception that's happening in the world. This is the attention. And, you know, people will say things like, why are there so many transgender people? Well, we've always been here. It's just that every every collective group of people have knuckleheads. And unfortunately, those are the ones that are getting the press. (laughs) The louder you can be. I guess. I guess. And in this situation, though, I think this has been this is getting to be a struggle for people that is long overdue, because for the longest time, most of the people that even I look at as Christians, I see those that walk in hypocrisy and hate far more than I get to see real Christians. So when I identify people that are really strong in their faith and belief, and yet at the same time, understand what love means you know not our programmed box Mm -hmm. of love which is catharsis um but um cathexis i apologize but but what real love is i am in utter awe and and feel so grateful to get to know people like that but you know Mm -hmm. the knuckleheads are out there making it hard making it hard man yep So in 1961, okay, the Congress of Racial Equality, known as CORE, began the Freedom Rides, right? Mm. They were an interracial group of activists that defied the whites only. So we did, you know, obviously the show on the the Jim Crow laws and stuff. And so this was, you know, they they worked to defy those whites only seats, the restrooms, the the waiting rooms, the cafes and stations and on buses that traveled between states, right? So when CORE... Again, Congress of Racial Equality halted the protest in Birmingham, Alabama, after facing bombing and yes. mob violence. The yes. Freedom Rides continued under another organization called Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, or SNCC's leadership. <clears throat> now, the racist violence intensified, and in Montgomery, Alabama, a mob attack left John Lewis. And James Zwerg, Z-W-E-R-G, I'm hoping to pronounce that right, battered and bloodied. So once they started getting off the bus, right, there were around 500 people that came out, men, women, and children. Men were holding the Freedom Riders' backs, and the women were hitting them with their purses and holding their children up to claw their faces. Wow. Some of the men carried lead pipes and baseball bats. You know, there's something about this story <laughs> that reminds me of what courage really is. Yes. Right? yes. It isn't the mob of racists. It isn't the white supremacists. It isn't the KKK. It's people like John Lewis and yes. James Zwerg, right? And all yes. the other people who walked into a battle that they knew they were going to lose. Yes, man. Mm. Those hate groups go to fight. While those other groups, like we could say Martin Luther King, went to say, yep. we aren't going to back down. Yeah. And we're not going to meet hate with hate. Exactly. That is courage. Man. That Ooh. is courage because they weren't going to fight. But they're basically mm-hmm. saying, we're here. Kill us if you got to. So freedom riders of the civil rights movement had been subjected to the most gruesome of violence. One of their buses had been firebombed. While the yeah. mob attempted to keep the door shut, so the activ- mm-hmm. activists would actually burn to death inside. Luckily, they didn't. Famous historian, this guy 
tear branch, right? Described the carnage at these events. And he said, one of the men grabbed Zwerg's suitcase, smashed him in the face with it. Others, others slugged him to the ground. And when he was dazed beyond resistance, one man pinned his head between his knees so that others could take turns hitting him as they steadily knocked out his teeth and his face and chest were streaming with blood. A few adults on the perimeter put their children on their shoulders to view the carnage. And we remember that with the Jim Crow. Yeah. Yep. Burn them. And then we hold them up so they can see him. Uh, Zwerg was taken to the hospital where the photo of his battered face was beamed around the country. Yeah, man. (laughs) Just, it's, it's just amazing (laughs) how people are able to do that, how they're able to believe something so much. But it's not even about belief, it's safety. Good gosh. So he Mm. refused to accept praise for his actions, stating later that there was nothing particularly heroic in what I did. If you want to talk about heroism, consider the black man who probably saved my life. This Mm. man in coveralls, just off work, happened to walk by as my beating was going and said, stop beating that kid. If you want to beat someone, beat me. And they did. He was still unconscious when I left the hospital. I don't know if he lived or died. Wow. That that's courage, right? That's courage. (laughs) Seriously. That's love. That's courage. That's Christian love, man. Yeah. It's crazy. That's what that is. That's what that is. Will I, will I step into a burning situation to pull another human being out? Yeah. Yeah. Segregation must be stopped. It must be broken down. Those of us who are on the Freedom Ride, who will continue the Freedom Ride, I'm not sure that I'll be able to, but we're going on to New Orleans, no matter what happens. We're dedicated to this. We'll take hitting, we'll take beating. We're willing to accept death. But we're going to keep coming until we can ride from anywhere in the South to any place else in the South without anybody making any comments, just as American citizens. Now, he's, Very much. he's willing to die, not for tourism. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but he's he's willing to die for actually a good cause. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm willing to die. <laughs> okay, if anybody doesn't know, you'd have to watch our last show. Those people now, the American people. I want to tell you ready to do. One more time. I tell you ready to do. And whatever it takes, I'll lay my life down if it takes. That's why we showed up today. Lay my life down for tourism. (laughs) (laughs) Make sure you do that. (laughs) Yeah, you got to check out the last show. It was good. So the Freedom Rides continued until Lewis Mm -hmm. and over 300 other Freedom Riders were arrested in Jackson, Mississippi. Forced in Jackson. (laughs) Yeah. 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 There's still lynchings that go on there. 
Oh yeah. You know, Without a doubt. Um, they, yeah. they call Without it suicides, but you know. Yeah. 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 Without so, a doubt. So that speech I started with, right, was less than three weeks after that 1961 attack on the Freedom Riders, right? Wow. Henry Lyon Jr. was Montgomery's most prominent pastor. Um, and he gave and that, that he gave that speech before the local white citizens council denouncing the civil rights protesters and the cause for which they were beating from a Christian perspective. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so John Lewis again was elected to the U S house of representatives in 1986, where he held office until his death in July of 2020. I'm delighted and, and just very happy and very pleased to be here. And to be here with my, uh, my friend and my brother Jim, it is almost too much. It is amazing uh, to be here on this campus and to be in his hometown, to be at Lawrence College. My first time, he was 2005. But we met some few years ago. In, in, we had hair then. We, we both had hair. <laughs> and you had all of your hair. I had all of my hair. And we became brothers in, in a struggle. Um, during the Freedom Rides, I guess during some of the sit-ins, uh, stand the stand-in at the theaters, yep. but especially during the Freedom Ride in May of 1961. Just think in May of 1961, 54 years ago, that black people and white people couldn't be seated together on a Greyhound bus or a trailway bus, leaving Washington, D.C. to travel through the South. And we changed that. The same year that President Barack Obama was born, yep. 54 years ago, those signs came tumbling down. And this young man who was my seatmate from Birmingham to Montgomery. And when we stepped off of that bus, we were beaten and left bloody. Almost gave us life. And um, we tied together. We gave a little blood mm -hmm. to redeem the soul of America. So I feel more than lucky, but very blessed to see you and to be here with you, sir. Likewise, my brother. Wow. So. Okay, wow. so why did I bring all this up? Christian racism. Christian mm. stupidity. <laughs> mm. Mm. <laughs> I'll go with the second answer. <laughs> yeah, serious. Okay, so I got this. I, I found some interesting videos and stuff, okay? Uh, that I don't so, doubt. And, and we're going to start with one, and, and I want to begin with Word of Life Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. Tennessee. Right. Mm. And his name is so here is Pastor Reagan or Regan. I don't know. R-E-A-G-E-N. You think mm. that's a that's a Reagan or a Regan? It sounds like Reagan, but the name Regan kind of means it sounds familiar to me. Yeah. Because I'm from those. I, I grew up in some of those parts. OK. Johnson City. Yeah. Okay. We'll see if you recognize this guy. Appalachian town. Yeah. He's a he's a good Christian. Right. Yeah. Yeah, he's a good Christian racist. <laughs> there's, there's a move in the message. 
of blacks marrying whites, whites marrying blacks. And folks think it's all right. But you know what? My God still has nationalities outside the city. Now watch this. Brother Bram says, how breeding, how breeding, how terrible how breeding. The hybrid, the people. They, it's a big molding pot. I got hundreds of precious colored friends that's born again Christians. But on this line of segregation and things that they're talking about, how breeding the people, what? Tell me what a fine cultured, fine Christian colored woman, fine Christian colored woman would want her baby to be a mulatto by a white man. No, sir. It's not right. Not right. Tell me what good, smart, intelligent, beautiful colored woman. And you tell me what KKK guy would call a black woman beautiful. You tell me what white supremacists would call any black woman beautiful. This is not from a white supremacist. This is not from a racist. This is from a prophet of God. Watch him honor and give respect. Not putting the white above the other or the black above the other. Beautiful colored woman would want to have a baby by a white man to make it a mulatto. Not sense. Many things the color now listen white folks. Many things the color people has is far beyond the white man. This is not a white supremacist saying this. This is not a, a racist saying this. This is a man who loves truth. Amen. Let me tell you right up front. Any of you young people, you want to marry a black man, you girls, don't ask me to do it because I will not. I refuse. I cannot do it with a conscience toward God and look these quotes in the face. <laughs> you white brothers, you find a black sister, you want to marry an African or whatever more, don't ask Brother Donnie. I'll, I'll quit church. Suit yourself. Wow. <laughs> I'd rather you quit than me get in trouble with God. Well, glory. <laughs> what the... What the hell? Seriously, right? I cannot oh look these God. verses in the face. Cannot look them yes. in the face. And let me make sure I let you know, this is not from a white supremacy. I would not call a, a colored, colored woman beautiful if I was racist. He made sure that he emphasized that not a KKK, not a white supremacist, right? right. This is a prophet of God. I'm a prophet of God. Man, prophet of mm, God. Mm, mm. Oh, the Bible can be so men can be so deceived amongst their egos through the Bible. Yep. It gives them this sense sensation of yep. e ego and God like themselves that they stand up and yep. give their own interpretation mm -hmm. of what they read. I had to, so I had to do some research on this. I'm trying to, because of course I, he didn't have the quotes, you know, yeah. that he would not look these quotes in the face, you know, so or verses <laughs> in the face or whatever. So, so, so the old Testament law, okay. Commanded the Israelites not to engage in interracial marriage, right? Deuteronomy seven, three to four, right? Mm -hmm. Now the reason for this was not skin color or ethnicity. The reason God commanded against interracial marriage for the Jews was that foreign people were worshipers of false gods. Mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. the Israelites would be led in the wrong direction. And so if they intermarried with idol worshipers, pagans or heathens, <laughs> this is exactly what happened in Israel. 
right? According to Malachi 2.11. Mm-hmm. And so a similar principle of spiritual purity is laid out in the New Testament, but it has nothing to do with race. Right? It says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Light right. is white. Dark. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, so they, they see, interpret it. Right? That's how their interpretation. Yeah. Very black and white. <laughs> Very black and white. Yes, black and white. Now, just as the Israelites, the believers in the one true God, were commanded not to marry idolaters. So Christians, believers in the one true God are commanded not to marry unbelievers. So the Bible never say, says that uh, interracial marriage is wrong, right? Anyone who forbids interracial marriage is doing so without biblical authority. <laughs> right? And they're doing so from their own personal, absolutely, their own personal feelings. That's yep. it. And as Martin and Luther King Jr. said, right, he noted that a person should be judged by his or her character, not by skin color. Same Absolutely. principle, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. And 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 I have studied the Bible because so many of these verses have been used in conjunction to attack me or or, right. or or different things throughout my life. So I've done so much study about the Bible and the origins of the Bible, and and that would be a completely different show, but there's so much more underneath even how the Bible was was put together and came to be. And these that we look at as as scriptures of these named human beings are actually, if you ever go back to the book of Thoth or the seven emerald tablets, these are what the Bible is now based upon are the several emerald tablets. Well, and in that time, Mm-hmm. We had a lot of different entities impregnating different people, and this is this comes about in a lot of the stories that the Bible now tells in that way, that these were stories that came from there as well. So a lot of what mm-hmm. he was say high breeding. Right, right. That yeah. yeah, that was humans and just like your just like what you just explained, that was basically humans and demigods. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's what, you know, so but they don't go past that. Yeah. The biblical perspective is that there's only one race, the human mm-hmm. the human race. The human race. That's <laughs> it. Everyone that's it. having descended from Adam and Eve. Right. 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 So when selecting right. a mate, a Christian should, you know, first find out if the potential spouse is born again by faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, that's basically mm-hmm. what they're saying, you know. Right. Right. Not in the Old Testament, but, you know, obviously in the New Testament, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. faith in Christ, not skin color, is the standard right. for choosing a spouse. That's what the Bible said and repeatedly says that, you know, so yeah. interracial marriage yeah. is not a matter of right or wrong, but of prayer and personal choice. Yes. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Prayer and personal choice. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. See, I think it's a cowardly way to avoid your own evolution and growth to decide mm-hmm. that this one thing is the way it is so right. to somehow believe that the white race is the supreme race which is just 
ignorant so to me. <laughs> Just so stupid and ignorant to me. So but what a coward it takes to live within that small box and try their best to manipulate a congregation to be with them in their small box because the men and the women and we can't say the children because they were being programmed at the same time to keep this ridiculousness mm -hmm. going. Mm -hmm. But every man and woman showed zero courage, integrity, or biblical Christ-likeness. Right. It didn't take courage to beat people for not being who you think they should be right. yep. at all. Yep. And it's the most coward, yep. absolute coward way to live, in my yep. opinion. Beat people to greatness. All right, so I want you to okay, watch this closely. This is not a white supremacist saying this. This is not a, a racist saying this. This is a man who loves truth. Joe's, what did he say? <laughs> a man who loves truth? Is that what he said? I don't know. what Does he say Jews or? I thought he said truth. I thought he said a man who loves truth. This is not a white supremacist saying this. This is not a, a racist saying this. This is a man who loves truth. Right up front, you young people, you want to marry a black man, you girls, don't ask me to do it because I will not. I refuse. I cannot do it with a conscience toward God and look these quotes in the I face. Just love that part. I literally just love that part. Oh, I love that part. That's great. I was like trying to figure out what was he saying? Like, Jews. That's like what Jews. You know, <laughs> I don't know what he couldn't have been saying Jews. No, I think he said truth. I think yeah. he said a man who loves truth. Uh, but it came out so weird. But it right because it, it's not true. <laughs> it's not truth. His own body wouldn't even make the sound. <laughs> he got close. <laughs> uh, serious. Okay, now now we are going to come to, and this one was just for fun. Okay. And oh, we've God. sort of talked about this before, but we're going to come to the most devout believers of Jesus Christ. They go by the name the Ku Klux Klan, although King of Kings would be more biblical. K right. of K or cock. Right? I'm ready. Are you a hate group? No. no. How do you define yourself? We well, define ourselves as a Christian. I don't Christian hate group. anyone. Yeah, I don't hate anyone. Um, I, I'm talking to you. I'm not. Yes, but the message that you spread when you are out on your rallies is a speech of hate. No. No, no we don't call them names. names. We tell the Bible what the Bible says. Yahweh, Yahshua the Christ, says I am not allowed to break bread with you or anybody here. The Bible says that we were no, all born equal. Leviticus 19.18 is what you're saying. Love thy neighbor. Right. So you're taught this. I'm telling you, Leviticus 19.18, love thy neighbor. It says, love thy neighbor of thy people. My people are white. white Your people. people are black. I'm what I am. You're what you are. Are you racist? No. I think everybody deserves the right to live. <laughs> Except the ones hanging from the tree. Yeah, everybody deserves the right to live. Okay. That guy didn't deserve it. Yeah. Okay, so Leviticus nineteen eighteen, and they always use the King the King James version. Our um, favorite pastor in Arizona, Steve Anderson. Yep, King James yep. version. Leviticus nineteen, King James version. So Leviticus nineteen eighteen. That's what he said, right? 
That's yep, what it yep, is. This yep. is exactly what it says. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. It's not what he said, right? That's not what he said. I am the Lord, it says. Leviticus 19, 18 is what you're saying. Love thy neighbor. Right. So you're taught this. I'm telling you, Leviticus 19, 18, love thy neighbor. It says, love thy neighbor of thy people. My <laughs> Love thy neighbor of thy people. It says, thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. Now, what does it say? What does but mean? Mm. Okay, think about it, right? But, mm -hmm. what do we always say? What does but mean? I mean, other than your ass, but. Yeah. <laughs> It's used, it's used to introduce a phrase or clause contrasting yeah. with what has already been mentioned, right? Mm -hmm. You said mm -hmm. of thy children, but now we're moving away from that. Right? Yeah, yeah. Because now that's what but is, right? So we've... Yep, yep. Now, we also have moved beyond the old and into mm. the new. They <laughs> seem to have this. Does their King James version end with the uh, Old Testament? <laughs> it must. It has to. It must. It has to. Right. Because, it has to be an altered version anyway. Well, yes, because what is Jesus now? I, I. So again, this is one of my favorite stories. Okay, that just destroys this argument. Of thy people, of thy people, right? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Luke 10, right, is the parable of the mm. Good Samaritan, right? Mm -hmm. So Luke 10, verse 25, it says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? Now, again, this is King James Version. And he answering said, Thou... <laughs> shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all my, thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. Okay. Thyself. And he said unto him, thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Mm. Right? And mm. Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance, there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went mm. to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on, mm. the, mor mm. on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, mm. he that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, go and do thou likewise. So the good Samaritan then 
was not a real person, right? But he was a symbol. You know, so a religious man wanted to limit who a neighbor was and justify yes. himself. But instead, Jesus flipped the question, right? He used the backdrop of the Jews' hatred for Samaritans to show mm. that everyone was his neighbor, even yes. if he considered an enemy. Right. That's the story right. right there. That's the story. That's biblical. That is That's biblical. biblical. Yeah, it's not just read that. people. It's not, I only love thy people of thy yeah. people. <laughs> yeah, you didn't make anything up. You read the story. Yeah. No interpretation, just read the story. Read the story. And, and, but you read the King James, I doubt they even understand. No, they don't. They don't. The, the way that you know that they don't understand it and that they don't have a true relationship with the God of their understanding is that they will not go past what makes them comfortable. It was like that one guy that we showed, I think that was the KKK guy before, mm -hmm. who was like, you know, he was saying, well, no, but it says, love thy neighbor as thyself. And, it, and the guy showed him the Bible and said, no, it says, love thy neighbor of thy people. And he's like, oh, whoa, of thy people. <laughs> right? I remember that. Right. I, don't, I think right. it was, the, I don't remember yeah. who it was, but. That was one of the things that we had on there. And the one guy's like, oh, episodes, whoa, yeah. love thy people. Yeah, you're right. It does. So right. we only right. love, thy love thy neighbor of thy people. <laughs> See, this is how those groups operate, though, man. They probably have changed <laughs> words and pass out these Bibles there. Yeah. But I know so many people, and even some in my family, that are so comfortable within their own shit. Yeah. That they don't even, and they 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 claim to walk by these principles, but they can't actually tell you what they are, right? Because they're being regurgitated to them through somebody else. Yeah, and I think what a sad situation. Yeah, that you're so lost that you're willing to sit in a room yeah. and let somebody give you your relationship with God. Yeah. So what these people have is not relationship. Yeah. It's it's hate. Well, it is. I mean, the guy, the, just the way the guy's even said it, you know, oh yeah, I believe everybody has the right to live. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Except that guy dangling from the tree. Yeah. Right. And you know, what happened to that guy? What happened to his right yeah. to live? And then he's like, you make he's like really shit. quick to shut her off too. You know, oh, I Very know what you're quick. saying. You're saying yep. Leviticus, not, you know, I don't know what, she may not even be saying. <laughs> I doubt she was. She was probably talking she, about the story you just read. Yeah, she was probably in a totally different place, you know. Nobody else can have any ideas. You can't you can't bring it to them. Like, I mean, you we did that with 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 Shirley, you know, like like you continuously try to give back to to Shirley. Let's have this conversation. And there was just no and man, I was thinking about her the other day. And I was thinking about what because I still think that we made a dent. I think her foundation was already shaken when she, when most of her children left that religious yeah, yeah, yeah. sect. Yeah. And I think she's shaken. But I also think, you know, when you think of a woman that age, and this is all she's ever known, yeah. and she's made this big spectacle of herself. And so, so much, so many people have hatred for her. Yeah. What does she do? Where does she go? Yeah. And she's you not going to back down. 
No. You know, it would no. be because that because yeah. like then you get the ego thing. Conversation we had too. There was that one point. I always keep thinking about this too. Is that at one point where she, it was, she was like, "You're trying to trick me or something," when she said, "You know," and I'm like, "No, I was. I'm not actually. I just no, want to understand back. What, yeah. what we're talking about." Um, and and her whole thing, when you really think about it, does not make sense. None. I mean, none. It makes are, no I sense. mean, because what are you protesting? You're protesting something that these people don't choose. Right. Right. Because right. there's no, right. no free will. So people don't choose to be gay. You don't choose to be transgender. But then we're out there picketing. What? Right. We're picketing God. Because right. God, you know what I mean? That's the stuff that like, that's where the whole thing just falls apart. <laughs> it does. It does. And I think about so many people that sit in these pews yeah. And they don't have the wherewithal to watch it fall apart, yeah. but they never go, they never yeah. leave these spaces or these groups and do any research for themselves. Yeah. Think about Martin Luther King Jr. A lot. One of my, oh, just a, just a, a mentor of mentors to me, just because of the way he explained love and the way he walked his life. Mm -hmm. That's what takes courage. And I used to think in my youth, I used to think my grandfather was weak. Because he did not meet, you know, the life with that masculinity that, you know, he met it in true love. And it wasn't until he died and I grew up, you know, in my own spiritual evolution and relationship with God that I realized he was the most courageous mm -hmm. of all the men that I witnessed in my childhood because he didn't engage in hate mm -hmm. and he didn't engage in and, and ridiculous fighting and egoic treating women bad and yeah. treating people bad. He didn't engage in that, but he, I watched people treat him badly. And yet I watched him yeah. continue to know who he was, yeah. you know, that's just, courage. Just stand on what you believe, you know, that's it. I think Martin Luther that's King it. Jr. I mean, like, I, and I've always thought about this too. It's like, I mean, we always kind of praise him and stuff, but there was also, there were mm -hmm. so many people that so were many. with him that, yeah, you know, like, uh, Lewis, Yes. That guy was, yes. Uh, he's got tons of pictures with him. He's standing with him. He's fighting with him. He was there, you know, but there's a yeah. lot of people that were doing that. Yes. Martin Luther King got yes. the name just because he was the vocal, <laughs> the voice. Right, the, right, you know? right, right. But um, he truly was, but he engaged people in a, in, in, to, to broaden their beliefs. Yeah. He, he yeah. engaged people of all, on all sides. Right. You know, yeah, definitely. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna check out one more KKK guy, a man of God. I'm My sorry. favorite. I'm not a bigot, but I'm 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 I'm, I'm a, calling me a racist is true. I'm a racist, damn right. I'm a racist. And I don't hide that. I'm a racist person, but I'm not a bigot. I don't hate anybody, but I'm a racist. I'm a racist is somebody that loves their race and loves their people. <laughs> what is racist? What is racist? Right. <laughs> a racist is a person who shows or feels discrimination, right? Or prejudice against yes. Yes. people of uh, right. races, right? Right. But, you know, he's saying like, I love my race. And so I'm a racist, right? And then he's like, I'm not a bigot. Okay. So a bigot is a person who is unfairly and irrationally intolerant towards those who are different, hold different opinions. So what's the difference between a racist and a bigot, right? <laughs> So racist, again, is a person who shows or feels discrimination or prejudice against people of other races. A bigot is a person who is unfairly and irrationally intolerant towards those who are different.
racists are bigots. Now, yes. now bigots <laughs> may not always be racist, though. True. Right? True. But racists are bigots. And so he's like going, I'm a racist. I'm not a bigot. Now, if you're a big, if you're a racist, <laughs> you are a bigot. You're a bigot. But you also <laughs> don't understand what racism means. No, no, <laughs> that's the problem. They walk around thinking they're racist, yeah. which means, oh no, I'm just celebrating my whiteness. I don't care if you celebrate your whiteness. Celebrate your whiteness. I think we should all love where we come from and our ancestry and all of that, but not in a way that you become the bigot. Yeah. And you're intolerant yeah. that other people share this earth with you. Yep. I still always say. Where did we all come from? How do you believe in a God that separates out all these people? I mean, where did they come from? We all got here in some divine way. All, all, from, Adam, divine all way. from Adam and Eve at some point. That's right. That's right. <laughs> fucked everything up. They fucked everything. 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 <laughs> <laughs> we might all be just living here in la, la, love. Yeah. So a racist is, again, is a person who practices it's racism. A big. big, it's a person who practices bigotry. <laughs> <laughs> they don't pass out dictionaries in those groups either are they seriously <laughs> the, the blacks tend to want, want to have a reason to bitch sorry about my language they want to have a reason to gripe they want to have a reason to throw a fit they want to have a reason to 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 to, to tear shit up and 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 that's where the ku klux klan comes in to put a stop to it and say it's not going to happen you know i've had corrupt cops in the city of tupelo lose their job because Ku Klux Klan was involved because we weren't going to have it. We weren't going to have it. I stood up for my people in the city of Tupelo and uh, in the state of Mississippi. But blacks blame it on their cell. They do. They, it's like this officer that got shot in Atlanta. I mean, the officer that shot that guy in Atlanta took his taser, man. But what people don't understand, if you read the Turner Diaries, it plainly says it, that if you, if you, if you get the law, that's the last line of defense between us and communism. If you get rid of law enforcement, if you get rid of law enforcement, then that gives them, the communists, an open door to come in and take over. Oh, God. <clears throat> okay, Poor so man. you notice uh, his gun? Yeah. <laughs> He's got a, his gun. He's got a gun right there. <laughs> you know? What? Yeah, and we and and he what he he said the Turner Diaries that's their Bible. Yes, the oh, Turner Diaries are their Bible. Yes, not the that's their Bible. Absolutely, and that's what that actually was what I was getting to because you know again the Turner Diaries yeah it's a 1978 novel by William Luther Pierce who is like the mm -hmm. white supremacist Grand Poobah, right? <laughs> Grand Cock. And he published it under a pseudonym, right, Andrew McDonald. And it depicts a violent you know, revolution in the United States, which leads to the overthrow of the federal government, a nuclear war, and ultimately a race war, which leads to the systematic extermination of non-whites and Jews. So all, right. all groups opposed by the novel's protagonist um, are killed, basically. You know, uh, they were described as being explicitly racist and anti-Semitic by the New York Times when that book came out. Uh, it's been labeled the Bible, right, of the racist right by the FBI. Yep. And it was greatly influential in shaping white nationalism and later the development of the white genocide conspiracy theory. It was also it, it also inspired numerous hate crimes. Uh, the 1984 assassination of Alan Berg, 1995 Oklahoma City bombing, 
and the yep. 1999 London uh, rail bombings. McVeigh, you know, again, who did the Oklahoma oh, yeah. City bombing, um, his original plan had been to detonate the bomb at 11 a.m., but at dawn on mm-hmm. April 19th, 1995, he decided instead to destroy the building at, at um, 9 a.m. Now, as he drove mm-hmm. to the building, the federal building, in that truck, um, McVeigh carried with him an envelope containing pages from the Turner Diaries. I think they should stop using the term God or Christian and just call themselves believers of the man who wrote the Turner Diaries. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We, That's it. Yeah. We worship uh, William Pierce. That's right. That's what it is. We believe every word he says because this I mean, is not biblical. It's like, it's a, the same. Th- I mean, it's crazy. Like, you know, just as this book says, it, it was a fictional book. Right. Right. It's Scientology. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but one man in his, in, in the haze of his own hatred and smallness of his own box and and here's what the thing this is why this is so the opposite of love so when we when we talk about love love is abundant it's 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 never ending it's always there but when we talk about fear we talk about scarcity and when we engage in deciding about the the black people want something to bitch about the, the this that and the you know all of this stuff that is a fear based scarcity mindset which means there's not enough for all of us so us whites uh, heterosexual Christians we should all get in this group and get what we can get and then the rest of us get in this group and get what we can get the you know the the black the the majority of the black community that has done so much work to evolve still are trying to escape what was set up by them by the the greater white powers for them so so how does a person like like that man decide what it's like to walk a mile in someone else's shoes and decide they just want something to bitch about i'm sure he spends most of his life bitching about pretty much everything all day long and it's all fear-based. There's not going to be enough. There won't be enough. Well, that's the opposite of love. That is hate. There'll never be enough. So um, I want to, there's a supposedly one remaining white-only church in this country. We must secure the existence of our people and a future for white children. There is a membership process that is required in order to be part of the assembly. So the requirements to be part of the As a True Folk Assembly, you do have to be of Native European descent because we are considered a folk religion. A lot of people will call us white supremacists, which is not true. A lot of people will call us racist. We're not racist. Um, We're not out here trying to take over anything. We're here to gather together to call our brothers and sisters who are called to this religion. We want them to have a place to go where they can they can do those things and they can save those traditions and save that culture. Doing anything that would be considered white supremacy, no. I mean, I, I guess I don't, I don't know why people would be coming to a church for politics. I will defend my race. I will fight for my race, primarily with words and ideas, but I will fight more literally if I have to. The existence of my people is not negotiable. What do you think? 
So to, to join that church, you have to be uh, European. And I'm thinking it white. European. I'm out. You know, yeah. yeah, I'm out. I'm out. I'm of the Native Americans. Yeah, I'm. A, I'm of yeah. the the freaking United States of America. You can go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet you you could go. I bet you you could go. I'm sure I could. I'm sure I could. They take. I, mean, you. I got a last name McCoy too. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah. You're in. Definitely European. you're in. As, as again, the whole thing is we don't want to say that all Christians are horrible people and they're all bad and they're True. all screwed up. And this guy is, is actually, I believe, from your state, North Carolina. Jesus representing churches will not stigmatize sexual sin. Stigmatizing sexual sin shows extreme ignorance of the gospel. Let me continue on with what Jesus says in that judge not passage, Matthew 7, verse 2. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the way that you cast off, that's how you'll be cast off. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the, the two before that is hanging out of your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, a lot of people, when they see Jesus says, take the log out of your own eye before dealing with the speck in your neighbor's eye, they think that Jesus is here addressing direct hypocrisy. And yes, if he's telling you not to be blatant hypocrites. If you're cheating on your taxes, don't preach to other people about not tithing. He's confronting us for failing to grapple with our own sinfulness. Notice that Jesus assumes the log is in our eye. Not if there is a log in your eye. He just assumes that there is one. You see, Christian doctrine teaches that every human heart is deeply depraved like a polluted well. And there are certain people who because of their personality, their upbringing, their experiences, they learn to contain or cover up the tendencies of the heart, but the same corruption is still there. What religion does is it simply covers up. John Owen, the British Puritan, said the, the seed of every sin is in every heart. The seed of every sin is in every heart. Those who recognize that about themselves speak with a deep humility, a deep brokenness. Listen, because the commonality they feel with sinners is greater than any personal righteousness they think that separates them. So they could not talk about the speck of sexual immorality in their neighbor's eye without seeing it through the log of their own depravity. Sexual sin is not in a different category from other sin. And we pastors especially are guilty of talking about the speck in our neighbor's eye as if we're ignorant of the log of our own depravity. And the quickest sign of that is we speak with anger, disgust, and condemnation. Jesus told a story that was supposed to characterize every redeemed sinner. It was a story where a man had been forgiven, in Jesus' terms, 10,000 talents. Ten th talent was a, you know, a, a pretty large unit of money, 10,000 in many contexts. 10,000 is the highest number they would go to. So saying 10,000 was like saying an infinite amount. Here's a man who owes another man an infinite amount of money, and the day comes for this debt to be paid. And you probably know the story. The man shows up in the, in the court and... Everybody's watching and this man falls on his knees and he begins to beg and to plead. He says, sir, please give me just a little bit more time. In those days, if you couldn't pay your debts, you would go to prison and your kids would go to prison. And, and you would see, this is how one family would get enslaved to a, another family for, forever. And so he says, please just give me another week. It's a ridiculous request because another week, another 10,000 weeks is not going to give him the ability to pay back this debt. Everyone in the courtroom is watching this pitiful spectacle because you know, back then, like today, people who loan other people money don't get in the position they are by being softies. 
You don't call them lone puppies or lone bunnies. You call them lone sharks because if you don't pay, they come and break your kneecaps. But so everybody's watching this and they're thinking, this is pathetic. When the most unexpected thing happens in Jesus' story, this lone shark, his bottom lip begins to quiver. He gets a tear in his eye and he feels an emotion that Jesus calls splodma. Splodma in Greek means a gut level compassion. It's an onomatopoeia where the word sounds like what it is, splodma. It just comes up from within him. He feels compassion. And he does something that nobody can believe is happening. He looks at the man and said, stand up. You don't have another week to pay me back because you don't owe me any more money. As of this moment now, your debt is resolved. In the presence of all these witnesses, you are forgiven. Well, the man can't understand it. He, he's just been forgiven an infinite amount of debt. And he stands up and he feels as light as there and he walks out of the courtroom and he walks across the street and there's a friend of his who owes him a dollar fifty for a Mountain Dew that he bought the week before. And he goes over to his friend and he says, hey, give me my dollar fifty. The man says, I don't have your dollar fifty. Man, it's been a rough time. I, I'll get paid next week. I'll give you your dollar fifty then. He says, no, if you don't give me my dollar fifty now, you're going to prison. You would imagine that when Jesus is telling the story, at this point in the story, everybody kind of shakes their head and says, oh, come on, man, that would never happen. No one who'd been forgiven an infinite amount of money would ever turn around and hold someone in contempt for a dollar fifty. And Jesus said, exactly. Which means that if you are characterized by disgust over someone else's sin, rather than being overwhelmed at the forgiveness that God has given you, it means that you are desperately out of touch with the gospel. The first word out of Jesus' mouth as he announced his kingdom was repent. We know the gospel of Mark, what he's trying to do is trying to get the essence of Jesus' message and ministry down, so that's significant. Now, I know the word repent in our day brings up images of people with sandwich boards and all kinds of crazy stuff, but repentance simply means that you acknowledge Jesus' lordship instead of your own. Every generation, not ours, every generation establishes a standard for what is right and wrong. The worst condemnation given in the Bible is that a certain generation, listen, did what was right in their own eyes. They did what was right means they were morally conscious. The gay community is intensely moral. In their own eyes means that they made their own sensibilities the standard. I cannot judge the hearts of those Christians who affirm the gay lifestyle, but I can point out that the shift in their thinking on this appears to be part of a larger bending to the culture. Because at just about all of those places where the Bible seems to be most out of sync with our culture, they seem to find a new way to read the Bible to justify what the culture sees as right in its own eyes. Even if that means turning their backs on what Christians have plainly taught and believed for two millennia. Oh, people say, no, no, but the Bible is just not clear on this. For 2,000 years, Christians have understood this to be clear. What's more likely is that they don't want it to be clear. They say God has not spoken plainly. He has spoken plainly. They just don't like what he has said. The first question that Jesus puts forward in his preaching is who gets to make the rules. People say it's just, this is just, it's just too offensive. I, I get that. And I wish, honestly, as a guy who's trying to reach people and grow a church, I wish sometimes I could just change it or neglect it. But I love what Rick Warren says about this. We've got to choose whether we're going to have the disapproval of the world or the disapproval of Jesus. Which leads me to number five. Jesus representing churches will not be bullied into silence. We commonly hear that teaching that homosexuality is wrong is a form of hate. 
I've received packages at my house more than once telling me that I'm responsible for gay people that commit suicide and a gay or lesbian person taking their life grieves me deeply. But if what the Bible says about homosexuality is true, how can it be loving not to tell them? In fact, if what the Bible says is clear, it'd be hate not to tell them. And I know that there are many who disagree with us, but I would ask them to understand this from our perspective. If we believe what the Bible says is clear, how can we not speak plainly? 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 9, those who practice homosexuality will not inherit the kingdom of God. If this is true, how could it be anything but hate or at least severely delinquent cowardice that compels our silence? People ask me, what if your son... I have a son who is four years old right now. What if your son declares one day that he is gay? I cannot imagine a human being I love more than my son. But if I love him, I will tell him what God's word says plainly. And if not, then I condemn him. And I hope I can teach him to, like his daddy, come to the feet of Jesus, broken and repentant. Broken men who both need a savior, repentant toward a wickedness in our hearts that neither of us have a way of excising. And if he was born with a proclivity toward same-sex behavior and I was born with a proclivity toward anger, pride, deceit, and unfaithfulness, well, we both need to be born again. No one goes to hell for being homosexual. I know that because you don't go to heaven for being heterosexual. The only thing that puts you outside of God's grace is refusing to acknowledge your brokenness in Jesus' lordship. Come, he says. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's not the well that need a physician, it's the sick. And if you think you're well, then you have no part of me. But if you understand that you're blind, you understand that you're sick, if you understand that you're naked, then grace will flow down in a never-ending stream. His steadfast love never ceases, his mercies never come to an end. Number six, Jesus representing churches will preach the possibility of sexual orientation change, but acknowledge that it may not happen in this life. Repentance, for 2,000 years, Christians have understood that repentance means agreeing with God about a sin. Doesn't mean always being fully delivered from that sin. I can look in my own heart and see things that I asked Jesus to heal me from, and he has. I am a changed man. But there are other things that I have yearned for redemption and healing from. And I have redemption in Christ, but I still struggle with it. The Apostle Peter struggled with pride and fear for his whole life. Yes, he fails Jesus when he denies him. But then Paul in Galatians 2 has to take him to task for the exact same things. You caved to other people. Doesn't seem that Peter ever really got over this proclivity toward pleasing men and being afraid In the same way, we preach the already not yet of the kingdom in regards to sexuality. There are people whose sexual orientation God heals, like Rosaria Butterfield, whose story you heard yesterday. A neighbor in my city whose son goes to our church, we baptized. There are others he allows to struggle so they can be a testimony to God's sustaining grace and struggle. In fact, I might even say to you that that's God's normal way. This week on Monday, I got a letter from a guy in our church, a young man named Josh 
telling me about his journey with same-sex attraction. He says this, I want to quote, you preached a sermon from Hebrews 9 called No More Consciousness of Sins. You laid out in that message clearly that Jesus took away all of my guilt and shame by bearing it himself, that I was not just forgiven, I was made pure by the blood of Christ, and at that moment it all began to make sense. My same-sex desires do not define me. My identity is built on something so much greater, the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. God knew me from before the foundation of the world. He knew my sin. He knew my struggles. And he still chose to send his son to live the perfect life I could never live and die the death that I deserved. On the cross, he traded places with me, taking my sin and shame and giving me his place of righteousness with the Father. I am in Christ. I am a new creation. I began to see my struggle with same-sex attraction as a way for me to draw closer to Christ, as a way for me to see my own sinfulness and be driven even more to treasure the gospel, to treasure the fact that in Christ I am fully known and fully loved. And eternity became so much sweeter knowing that even if I struggle in this world for the rest of my life, one day I will be with my Savior and be completely freed from this body of sin forever. Jesus representing churches presents the multifaceted beauty of the gospel in dealing with sexual sin. As I read the gospels, I see that whenever Jesus dealt with someone in sexual sin, he never started with the sin. He always started with the root issues behind the sin. So for example, in the gospel of John, he deals with two different women caught in sexual sin. In John 4, he deals with a woman who is a serial adulterer. She's had five husbands and the man she shacks up with now is not her husband. But he doesn't just say, stop it. He shows her that her addictive behavior is driven by thirst. And the water she craved came not in the arms of romance, but in knowing his everlasting love, that his was the love she had always been seeking. I've heard it said that in sex, we desire to be known and loved, but it's a dilemma. Right? No, you, you want to be known and loved because to be loved and not known is sentimentality. To be known and not loved is rejection. We want to be fully known and fully loved, but we know that when people really know us, there is a sense when they see us in our soul nakedness, they might reject us when they see who we really are. The Savior gave her the love, the perfect love that knew everything about her life and then loved her entirely. This was the water of life that delivered her from the captivity to sex. Perhaps the clearest demonstration of this is what Jesus said to the woman in adultery in John 8. He says to her, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. And I've always been amazed at the order that he put those two phrases in, because I would almost always tend to reverse them. If you go and sin no more, then I will not condemn you. But Jesus put acceptance before change, listen, because he knew she would never have the power to change until she had felt the weight of his acceptance. God's acceptance is the power that liberates us from sin. It is not the reward for us having liberated ourselves. That means I don't just tell the girl who has lost her virginity about the dangers of venereal disease or the shamefulness of her act or that there's a God, or you know, that just, I tell her there's a God who cared so much about her. But he pursued her, left heaven to come and take upon himself the shame of her sin and my sin so he could wash her in his blood and make her pure and holy in his sight. And the only way she'll ever break the stronghold of idolatry that led her to those disastrous decisions is by seeing that there is a father whose attention is better and whose love is more steadfast than what she has searched for in the arms of a boy. That means I tell the young man struggling with pornography, I don't just tell him how destructive his habit is. I tell him there's a heavenly father who has set him apart for his purpose 
sacrificed himself so that he could live free from sin as a respectable, valiant man of honor in his sight. That Jesus' last words on the cross were not, go fix yourself. His last words were, it is finished. It is only the weightiness of God's acceptance that empowers us to forsake idolatry. That's how, brothers and sisters, he breaks the power of canceled sin and sets the prisoner free. Our message is not simply stop sexual sin. Our message is behold your God. Because it is amazement at the love of God for us that delivers us from all the lesser all the lesser attractions. I, I told a group of guys one time, I'll give a story quickly. A fraternity guys in college sitting around, they were talking about how difficult it was to control their sexual urges. And I told them, you can turn your sexual desires on and off like a light switch. <laughs> you should have seen the expression on their face when I said that. They're like, bro, we know that you're older, but we had no idea that happened to the human body, the male body when you turn 40 years old. And I said, um, I said I'll prove it to you. You can turn them off like a light switch. I was like, let's say that you and your girlfriend or you know you're at her apartment and um lights are low nobody else is there and things start happening i don't know what you guys call it anymore but when i was in college it had something to do with a baseball diamond um so you know you're you're working your way around this baseball diamond and you know at, at whatever point you cross the base that you know you're like everything is is in action you know the the the, the passion the desires are just raging they're all nodding their head going that's what we're talking about right there there's no way to turn that off i was like right then in that moment her Navy SEAL father walks in who just got back from Afghanistan. Bam! Off like a light switch. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, that's, that's a pretty good point. I, I, I'm... <laughs> what happened, I asked them, what happened in that moment? It's not that you lost sexuality. What changed in that moment is the largeness of the presence of the father. My friend Brennan, I told you about, told me that. He said, while I still have this struggle, he said, what has led to my victory? He said, is realizing that there is a heavenly father who in the Holy Spirit is with me at every point and every day. And he doesn't tell me to go fix this for him. He says, follow me and let me do it through you. He said, as I've learned to live in the acceptance of the father, I've learned to have victory over sin. It is Christ in me. That is the hope of glory. Number eight, Jesus representing churches will not fear suffering for Christian confession. It does seem like every day I read another story about somebody who loses a job or has their freedoms curtailed because they won't get in line with this issue. And I'm not trying to be paranoid. I mean, I love our country. I feel free. I'm not trying to overdo this and act like somebody's out for my head. But it's not hard to read the times. We won't be the first generation to suffer for Christian confession. In fact, in many ways, we're one of the only ones who never really has ever in history. My question for you is a sobering one. Are you ready? Are you ready to suffer for this? I can just imagine John the Baptist situation happening in our day. John was beheaded because he confronted Herod for his open marriage. He made his, little, his stepdaughter feel bad. The blogosphere, I could just see it happening, erupting today. John, if you just keep your mouth shut, talk about grace and love and 
any number of other things and focus on Jesus' healing, you'd still be alive. What a waste, John. Jesus said, I tell you, of those born among women, none is greater than John the Baptist. The spirit of John the Baptist's executors is alive in our world is the spirit of John the Baptist alive in us. God help us. Number nine, Jesus representing churches, this is the final one, will not make sexual ethics, but the gospel, the center of their message. C.S. Lewis and Mere Christianity has a chapter on sexual ethics that came from a series of radio addresses that he did in the 1940s. His prescient understanding of these things is remarkable. He never talks about same sex specifically, but he says to his listeners, does the Bible's teaching on sexuality, does it bother you? Can you not get around it? Punt it for a while. Because the center of Christianity is not sexual ethics. The center of Christianity is the cross and the lordship of Jesus. Wrestle with that. And if you come to understand that Jesus is who he says he is, then let him lead you in the areas of sexuality. Don't start with that. Start with Jesus. I frequently ask seekers who come to our church to punt the issue, telling them you've got to take time to figure out who Jesus is. And then if you conclude, as I have, that he is Lord, then trust him and let him lead you on this issue. Sexual ethics are not the center of Christianity. The gospel is... Sexual ethics should not be central or dominant in our message. His cross should be. At the same time, we have to address the question when it's brought to us. Just as John the Baptist did. Recently, a very prominent pastor said they wouldn't talk about this publicly since Jesus didn't talk about it. And it's a big issue in Jesus' day too. He said, really? Among first century Jews in Jerusalem, whom Jesus' ministry is almost exclusively focused on, this was a big area of controversy? I know that it was in Rome, but Jesus wasn't ministering in Rome. When Paul went there, he talked about this in the first chapter of his book to the Romans. Y'all, we can't punt this issue forever. If homosexuality is not wrong, we should celebrate gay leaders in our churches, gay pastors, gay teachers, leading in our church. The pastor that made this comment, I know, won't do that. But if it's not wrong, yet he won't let people in leadership who are gay and lesbian, how is that not bigotry? You see the dilemma? We can't punt this issue forever. We have to speak with grace and truth. Which means that it's not the center. It's not the center. The cross is. That's what I want our ministry to be known for. I want it to be known for Jesus. But then there are times that we have to answer. We have to speak with grace and truth. The right response to this issue or any issue is defined by the gospel. And the cross, Jesus shows us how to respond. So if you want to preach like Jesus on this or any issue, my friends... Brothers and sisters in Christ, plunge yourself deep into the gospel. Study it. Not like a seminarian studies doctrine. Not like a politician or an apologist studies a poll or a position. Study it like you would study a sunset that leaves you speechless. Because the more you know of his great love for you, the more love will spill out of you toward others. The more we become aware of how far Jesus reached to save us, the more we overflow with grace and compassion toward others. 1 John four nineteen. We love because... He first loved us. The more we are saturated with his love, the more we love, the more we believe the gospel, the more we become like the gospel. So immerse yourself in this conference as you leave this conference. Immerse yourself deeply in this truth that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom you and I are chief. 
Remember the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich, that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But now you, you are washed, you are sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Brothers and sisters, may God give us grace. Again, to show that the point being really is that not all Christians are bad, you know? Right. Um, right. And, uh, but my biggest thing behind it is that study research, yeah. read it yourself, feel in, you know, yeah. like feel in, feel past the fear and, and ask yourself different questions. Is there another way to think about this? Well, because Jesus was not, there, there was nothing within no. that was hate. No, no. Actually, actually, the things that he hate, I guess we would say, because he did hate certain things, but the things that he really did hate was greed, <laughs> right? Right. They the were time, they were things, not people. Yeah, the only time that you yeah. really saw him angry or read him angry <laughs> was um, <laughs> at that church, you know, when people were selling yeah. things and he threw things around and got angry. And, and uh, that's the only time. That's it. That's it. And I, And I think that... I think that there's so many different messages wrapped in that too, in that showing Jesus as, as a human man and, and inside of emotion and where there, there's so many different messages. And I think that the people that decide that they are willing to just take what it is they are given and do nothing else for themselves, they don't even have a deep belief system right. for themselves because right. they don't know what they believe. They know what, he believes, right. but they don't know what they believe. Right. And I think that that's, that's part of the saddest and most dangerous because when we talk about groups like we've talked about tonight. These people become dangerous yeah. because they live in such a state of survival and fear that there's not enough that how, what, how small of a God is that, that your God didn't make enough and abundant for every human on earth, mm -hmm. including you. I, I I think we got to make a point that in no way, shape, or form does being proud of who you are and proud of your race or you know all none of that makes you the racist or the bigot. It's deciding that whatever it is you are is more important or better than anything anyone else is. That's what makes you a racist yeah. and a bigot. Yep. I got another John Jorgensen uh, video. Mm -hmm. Dear brothers and sisters, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves in the following. Tender-hearted mercy. Tender-hearted. Let's get started. As his holy people, the course is charted. Serve the sick. Lead the lost, bring home the departed at any cost. Feed those who hunger, give water to the thirsty, show the world his love and tender-hearted mercy. Kindness. Search the world, find a mess. 
a grind of stress, a lack of rest, causing far less kindness than you'd expect. Far less smiles on far fewer faces, far less serving in not enough places, and kindness leaving minimal traces. Thankful. It's more than gratitude, it's accepting. Patience. It's more than waiting, it's expecting. Peace, it's more than silence, it's resting. Gentleness is a gentle bliss, a welcoming kiss, an unclenched fist. Oh, we're just beginning our list. Humility, the ability to reject rigidity and reveal humanity. Make allowance for each other's faults just as allowances were made for yours. Forgive one another because forgiveness opens doors. Above all, clothe yourselves with love. Let it act as the glue, binding nation to nation, binding brother to sister, binding me to you. Let us all bind together around the one who is true, the one who came to make us all new. And harmony. We are in need of some harmony, aren't we? Aren't you? One body, singular, the invited united, the saved in sync, the joyous joined, the redeemed reconciled, the changed chained together forever as one. Brothers and sisters, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Brothers and sisters, since God chose you, pretty good. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Which means, which means, those KKK guys, we need to love them. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Because it's not the person, but it's the sin. It's the right? belief. It's the yeah, and it's the belief system, and it's born from somewhere. And I think that that's a great way to 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 leave this thing because I see these people in compassion as much as I want to hate them because they. I feel that fear and lack of there's not enough. And, and if we search our hearts and we search our lives, we've all go through that. We go through that every time the bills are due, we go through that, you know, when something big happens in our lives, this is a belief system that is the centralized focus of their life. And they're deeply trying to grab onto things that are external to them to make themselves feel whole and important because Mm -hmm. people that feel whole and important and enoughness within themselves are connected to their divine God. And those that are not, 
there looking for something external to belong to well, to get that sense of feeling. And I think that's the way everybody is, you know. Sure. I mean, you, Absolutely. me, I mean, all of us, you know, are we're trying yeah. to connect with something. We're trying to, you know, uh, do something maybe bigger than ourselves, which is again, yes. I think, is what you and I do. But we've done it. I do too. We do it in a different way. You know. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. we're not spouting hate, although we're not racist and. Right. Or bigots. I'm, I'm not a bigot, but I'm a racist. Because... I am a racist, but I'm not a bigot. <laughs> yeah. But um but yeah, I think that I think that kind of fits with with all of us, you know. Yeah. Fortunately they yeah. they just go down a different path, um, which leads to destruction for some people, you know. Yes. Um, yes. For the innocent and you know, and and for them. Yeah. And for them. And you kind of ask, you kind of wonder, like, why? I mean, I don't. It's like to me, it can, to me, it's like if I look at the fact that God created all of us. Why? Why is God going to have? Oh, you're less than. You, oh, you're better than. You know what I mean? Kind of that's thing. It doesn't even yeah. make any sense. Yeah, that is the narcissism. That's narcissism. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the narcissistic. That's the narcissistic God. That it's unfortunate that so many religions build themselves around and and it and it harms people and then you know we have to look at the how easy it is for anyone who 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 gets up in front of a congregation of people especially in a setting like that how quickly and how deceivingly they slip over into ego and self-righteousness because they are standing in the space of god for this congregation and we see we see it so much we've seen it in so many different cult leaders and and people that it's not they don't start that way right it just you know when you get because every church you know denomination and churches you know like you know we're right you're wrong this is the way it is you know yeah it's the same book (laughs) yeah yeah it's the same book, it's the same yeah. story, but people just twist it into something different, and it's it's sad because what really I think is. Is, is sadder than anything is the is the congregation of yes. people that are being filled, you know, with this stuff, and it, and you know, people go to church just having this faith and this trust in my pastor is going to teach yes. me the right things, right. And that's right. I was thinking about that. And you almost kind of, you know, think you kind of go, shit, that really sucks because that's what these people do. And so mm-hmm. this person says this, it's got to be true. This right. is a man of God, you know? Right. Um, right. Even though they're just a person too. That's all. And, that's um, all. Just like the same people that are talked about in the Bible, we have to remember that those were people too. Mm-hmm. And in all of it, if we take anything, more seriously than how we connect with God within, then I think we're missing a massive part of the of understanding what it is to be a whole divine being, mm-hmm. a whole sovereign being. Mm-hmm. And when we just focus in on one part of that because it sounds good or it or it satiates some type of need that I have in my life, you know, if I'm if I'm already frustrated, and I go to this church and they say what ignites with that frustration, then that's where I lend all of my attention. And I forget that there is a relationship to be had, Yeah, you know, and well, that's the sad part. 
you know, the my interpretation of the Bible is love, right? And so yeah. I figured that, you know, I'm going to continue in life with love. Yes. Love, love. I don't, you know, I, the people I love more than anyone other are the, are the ones that are held down. Those, you know what I mean? Yeah. The ones that are yeah. struggling and that's, you know, yeah. I mean, for me, that's the exciting, you know, part of life is to put my hand out and help those people. Uh, yeah. And uh, do what I can to bring to, light. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And bring, you know, and show love and, and do it in that yeah. fashion. And if that's going to send me to hell, then that's the interpretation I got. And then so be it, but I'm going to live yeah. that way, yeah. you know? <laughs> Absolutely. I'm going to courageously, courageously live that way. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to try to walk each and every day yeah. in love and especially when it's hard yeah. and to try to bring some type of light to the darkness, because that's what I interpret when I, you know, read or, or study the Bible in any way. And I study many books, yeah. you know, for, for, for many different religions, their books are their Bible. So I have, I have, I have found great wisdom and experience with the God in the way that I understand him from reading many divinely inspired books. Yeah. Yeah, The thing like, you know, going like to sexuality type thing. And I, I I kind of touched on it a little bit, but you know, the, the, the sole focus of people on it, you know, like this is me, I'm a homosexual or I'm a, you know, kind of thing. It's like, why do why do we have to you know it's like I don't walk around and people oh, I'm a heterosexual just you know <laughs> yeah I'm going, yeah I'm going to a heterosexual bar not a gay bar <laughs> yeah because it because it's our it's our culture it's man yeah. that yeah. has created that focus yeah. on it when really yeah. it's none of their business yeah. you know if I walk into a place and and with my wife people's minds go to our sex life I mean even as a transgender person yeah. what are people's questions yeah how does it work you right. know, do you have this? Do right. you have that? Do you have yeah. not really yeah. anybody's business? Exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. like what gives yeah. if I walk up to you and go, What's that penis size? Right. Oh, really? Is right. that average? Yeah. You know, like you yeah. would be appalled, but yet it's it's somehow, yeah. you know, that people the- and, and everybody just reads into it. But anyway, <laughs> so the point of the show. Love. Love. Love 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 and so with with the topic that we were going to put with greatest hate is christian love <laughs> yep yep <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna flip that around a little bit though you know there you go because uh it is about love you know it is and we do want to remember it that is. that a lot of the ones that of course we focus on are the extreme nut cases um and there's a lot of great pastors out there that don't Yes, there those are those messages. Yes. And a lot of Christian, beautiful and wonderful Christian people. Yes. And I, I'd love it if you go check that guy's church out. Yes, I am. And I'd I am love it sure. if you'd ask him to come on our show. Yes, I would. In fact, I, I've, I've already thinking of the email to write him. Okay. Hey, but let's as, do it. as always, Lona, I love walking with you. And Man, uh, I love walking is, with you. Bud. This is always a lot of fun. And uh, it is. And so I want to let everybody out there know also that we appreciate all of you that are watching our shows. Hope you're enjoying them. Um, yep. And Lona, you got anything? Well, I, you know, if people that are out there watching, if you have some shoes that you would think that you would like to have our take and have us walk through, mm-hmm. then make sure that you leave those in a comment or, you know, or, or, or get in touch with us in some way, shape or form. We're all over social media. So, yep. you know, let us know what, 
what shoes you would like to walk in next. We're always willing to take some long walks and some absolutely pretty, pretty different shoes. We love, we love long walks. We love them. (laughs) We love them. (laughs) And I do want to say real quick. So um, yeah, my radio show is, um, is called hot topics. It's on Johnny rock and roll radio. Um, It's uh, you can go to Johnny rock and roll radio.org and uh, check out the shows. Um, They're also on all different audio stations. Uh, again, it's hot topics. It airs. It's every Saturday at ten a.m. Uh, ten a.m. Pacific, twelve p.m. Central, one p.m. Eastern, um, and awesome. then it re-airs again on Sunday. So, all right, standing. This has been fun, right, buddy. And, yes, it uh, has. Yeah. So, thanks again for watching, and uh, and then we'll see you all pretty soon.